This is Sophia Cassiola. And this is Michael J. Epstein. Of Blood of the Tribbets. And you're listening to... Without Your Head. Dun, dun, dun. the station of decapitation without your head i'm nasty neil i'm treacherous trista and we're joined by lou simone writer and director of agoraphobia and a lot of other cool things and it's good to have you here <laughs> thank you thanks to be on here yeah good to have you back it was a few years ago yeah like when was the last time what it was, for, it was for three. Oh yeah i guess that was a while ago yeah oh, two was, years it, you were actually on video but i wasn't doing video yet and so, uh, so it's just audio recorded, but this time we're all good. Lucky me, just when I really don't want to put on makeup and stuff, but okay. <laughs> you look great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I actually put perfume on too. I don't know if you can smell it. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I do that as well. Right? It's so, it's habit. <laughs> I'm the opposite. I'm glad no one can smell me. <laughs> But I did walk like six miles before the show, so actually it's probably true. Very sweaty. But uh, for people who don't know, can you give them an idea of what agoraphobia is about? Agoraphobia is the story of a young woman who suffers from that uh, mental illness. And um, so she's not able to go out of her house. And she inherits her father's um, house in the Keys. And um, she's all excited. She thinks this is going to be the perfect place to get over her fear. She's going. To, she's doing um, a type of um, therapy that's called. Um, um, not not escaping me, um, but um, she ends up instead 
weird things start happening and she kind of is stuck inside this house with what could be a vengeful spirit and uh, nobody wants to believe her because of her disease. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that inspired the story? The idea of agoraphobia, the, the ghost, or if it's a ghost? <laughs> if it's a ghost, right. Um, well, it was it was a mixture of things. Like I was looking to do um, bigger budget, um, single location, um, you know, limited character story. Now I've become a master at doing those. <laughs> I think they're all the all the same thing um and um i was on vacation in the keys and coming back up i was looking at the beautiful homes and i just thought you know about the lucky millionaires that live there and you know and well i thought a lot of them are elderly you know because they're retired florida you know and um and i thought you know what a what a sad thing if they can't go outside and really enjoy this you know this beautiful stuff that they're looking at every day and um and i thought well I think there's a story in there somewhere, but what what would be the one, what would be the thing? Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, just, I thought of agoraphobia. And after that, it's just slowly but surely just little pieces started coming together for the story. What's kind of a, a weird coincidence is uh, it took a few years, which we'll talk about for, to get uh, released here. Mm-hmm. But now that it is like, it's a lot of that's topical people get, being stuck in the house. Yeah, somebody pointed that out. It didn't even occur to me when we released it that, you know, that we are all a bit agoraphobic at this point. <laughs> so I mentioned it took it a, a few years to, to get released here in the States. Can you explain why? Uh, it got released everywhere else in 2015. Uh, we had gotten picked up for distribution in 2000, for North America um, by a company based out of Canada. And we were all excited about it. And stuff just started like going wrong. Um, they weren't handling it the way I wanted them to. So I canceled the contract with them. Um, it was about a month before they had scheduled it for a release. Um, and they were very um, kind to say, okay, you know, just get out of the contract. Um, and um I was at AFM a month later and I'm pitching it to a, another Canadian distributor. And the guy's like, I just got released Tuesday. I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And he like takes out his phone and shows it to me. He's like, here you go. I was like, <clears throat> so, um, so yeah. So that started this whole, you know, legal process. Um, it, it was taken down, but by that point had been pirated. Um, and it just, it was in all the, torn sites and all that stuff. And it was just a, a nightmare. Uh, it had gotten like relicensed to another distributor and that distributor somehow didn't get the notice that it had been canceled um, and released it anyway. And then released it twice more after that. <laughs> so um, we tried to negotiate it um, so they would release it properly. It just didn't never worked out. We ended up having to file a lawsuit in New York federal court which goes really slowly. So four years of um, being in litigation with them, you know, with the distributors. Um, and we also sued Google, Amazon, and Microsoft, you know, just tiny little companies you might have heard of. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was four years of a long, very painful litigation process. So, If you didn't... Your people don't know you have a background in law. 
before you got into making movies. If you didn't have that, do you think, I mean, maybe you don't even know, but you think it, you, it would have been something you pursued, you know, uh, filing lawsuits against them if you didn't know, like, you know, have some background on that? I mean, it definitely helped, especially because I went to several attorneys at that point. I'm not um, an intellectual property attorney, um, but I went to several attorneys and they were telling me, oh, the most you'll get is $30,000. So that would have dissuaded me from filing. I did my own research and I found the case law that backed my my case. And I took that to attorneys and be like, okay, no, (laughs) I can get more than that. So that's what helped you know, having that background is to do my own research and not just take their word for it. Um, it's hard. It's, it was kind of sad to see how little um, attorneys who practice in that field on a regular basis still had no idea because so few people actually sue for that, you know. Um, and, the, and the copyright law is very poorly written and it, it limit, limits the damages so much that it makes it sound like, you know, you can only get, you know, $30,000 in most cases. Um, So finding case law that said I could get more than that um, really helped our case. So we ended up, you know, settling. So after four long years, (laughs) so, um, and, you know, everybody's pretty happy, I think. Yeah, this might be an obvious question because I would assume it, it's special for you to finally get the movie out. But what does that mean to you? You know, four years going through all this, and now the movie is out, and people can watch it. It's almost surreal, though. I mean, it, honestly, I felt like it was never going to happen. Um, it, it there were so many times where I just felt like I just should just give this up because we're suing these huge companies. Um, and they can outspend us, you know, you know, and I, I started out in litigation doing like, you know, commercial litigation. And I knew that our um, strategy, because we did defense was just like run up the other guys, you know, um, attorney bills so high that they don't want to continue it. Um, so I knew that dealing with these huge companies, they could definitely, you know, outmaneuver us, but we got lucky, I guess. Well, I mean, we had a really good case. I mean, there was just, there was really no defense to it at all. It was just a matter of figuring out the damages. And that was probably the trickiest part because how do you prove damages on a, any film? You have no way of knowing how much it would have made, you know? So that was the tricky part. Yeah. Uh, Tristan, do you have a question? Yeah, this is such a, an interesting story. Uh, and I'm not sure it's a cautionary tale because I don't feel like you really did anything wrong or could have mm-hmm. done anything differently. But I'm wondering <laughs> if you have maybe like the biggest lesson you've learned through all of this. Oh my God. I don't, that's a, that's a hard part. I mean, we had done a lot of research. We had gone to, you know, what I have always told everybody, you know, like, don't just sign a distribution deal, make sure you you contact people they've worked with before. We did all that. And everybody spoke really well of them. Um, and I mean, one person did say, well, you know, they've had a lot of turnover there lately, but I think that part is resolved. And that is actually what we ran into was that they, you know, that every couple of weeks we were dealing with somebody new, which is why we pulled the contract. But I mean, you can't possibly no, I mean, I've had some sales agents that were great. And then all of a sudden one day stuff's just started going wrong. You know, um, it's so hard. I mean, 
indie filmmakers just have it so rough. I, I don't know that I have a, any lesson other than, um, I don't know, just stand up for yourself. Don't, you know, don't back down. I realize that most people are not in my position, you know, like I actually came out of, out of $20,000 out of my own pocket to be able to get a retainer to hire an attorney. And not a lot of people can afford that. Um, but for me, it was worth it because it was like, I, when I go to people and ask them to invest in a project, um, they put so much faith in me that I couldn't just say, well, oh, sorry guys, you lost all your money. <laughs> you know, I, I felt like I had to do everything I could to get that money back for them. And, and I, I was willing to do that. When you mentioned, uh, you know, suing, you know, big entities and you thought, you know, obviously be times you, maybe this isn't worth them to quit. Did you ever think of you weren't going to make movies again anymore after, after this? <laughs> yes. Every single time, <laughs> every single month I go through that. Um, yeah. I honestly, I don't know how I managed to make more films after that. Um, because it was, it was devastating. Um, but, you know, I, I call filmmaking this abusive relationship where, you know, you need to get out, but you keep going back for more and <laughs> it keeps beating you, but you keep going back for more. It's, it's a terrible analogy, but, but actually very accurate. <laughs> well, Michael Epstein, a mutual friend of ours, he always tells mm -hmm. me making movies is a terrible idea. Terrible. But he also loves doing it. So, yeah. Terrible. So uh, thinking about like making the movie since, you know, all this happened after does how long, because I know just a year ago, things seemed so long ago during the pandemic. Uh, how long ago does it feel like making the movie? I assume it seems like another lifetime or something. Making that movie? Agoraphobia? Yeah, yeah, agoraphobia. Oh my gosh. I actually, I can't believe it's already been seven years. I mean, it, you know, from the actual film part of it, the filming part of it. Um, I can't believe it, like time just flies, you know? Um, but, but it, you know, it's funny because now when I watch it, I'm so detached from it because it's been so long, you know? So I can look at it and actually enjoy it now where mm -hmm. right after you make it, you think of everything you wish you'd done different and everything you should have done or not done or, if I'd only done this, if I got one more shot of that, now I can just watch it and enjoy it because it's so long ago. And I've made so many more films after that, you know, so that's uh, a good part. Yeah. Uh, as far as casting the movie, what made um, what made Cassandra right for, for the lead? You know, um, we were looking for somebody who had name. You know, we, we were very conscious of the fact that we had to sell the film after we made it. Um, and, um, she had just finished doing Sharknado. So, um, and she was a pretty big part in that. And she is from South Florida and we were filming in Miami. So it was, it was, it was like a very easy sell of saying, um, you know, come to South Florida. You know, she was living in LA at the time. Um, come to South Florida, visit your family and make a movie while you're here, you know, kind of thing. So it was an easy sell. Um, and, um, and she was pretty, she, she was good. She was very talented and, um, and she, and she totally got the role. Um, I didn't get to do any rehearsals with her ahead of time. So that was a little worried about whether she, how she play it, but she was 
on it, man. She she knew all her lines and she just totally had it from from the get go. And I'm always happy to see Tony Todd in mm-hmm. anything and not to take anything away from Candyman because I love Candyman, but uh, he's such a great actor, you know, in, in any role. So, you know, it's good when he has like an actual role and he's not just like a cameo in something. I, I, well, I, I specifically wanted, you know, I wanted a, a horror icon, but I didn't want to do what some people do where like, you know, they basically just have him walk in and say, hi, how are you? Or be like the guy at the, at the gas station. No, you shouldn't go to the house. And that's it. And then they use the, you know, the, the picture on the, on the cover. I really wanted like an actual meaty role, but one that could be shot very briefly. Um, so, and then I, I also wanted people to kind of suspect all along that maybe he had something to do with what was going on. Um, so I played on that a little bit. And so he was perfect for that, you know. Now, what was he like to direct? So easy. <laughs> I wish everybody was that easy to direct. He, he, he was actually on set only one day and he had four scenes to do, which is a lot especially that first scene when they first get to the house, that's, that's like a lot of people, a lot of shots and, you know, a lot of happens right there, but he was, he knew all his lines. He knew the character. He called me the day before when he um, flew into Miami and, and said, okay, tell me what I need to know about this character. Um, and so we talked briefly on the phone, but after that, it was like, all right, we're, we're on set. We have four scenes, probably about good 20 pages to shoot in one day. Um, and he knew all his lines, was super amenable to anything I had to say. He was, I mean, he was just a pleasure to work with. Just super easy, super fun. Um, funny, super funny. Like he was cracking jokes the entire time. He was, he was great. Uh, Tristan, you have a question? I'm assuming you're a horror fan. So do you have a favorite horror film yourself? Well, if you consider Silence of the Lambs, which some people don't, a horror film, that's my favorite. Um, my second favorite probably being A Nightmare on Elm Street, the 1984 one. That's always <laughs> that, that, that one for sure is horror. Yeah. <laughs> It's always kind of a pet peeve of mine on when people start to argue like if a mo- what a genre movie is because I never know like why does it really matter if it's thriller or horror. I mean, you, do you I like mean, it less if it's a horror movie or a thriller? I don't know. It, it. I mean, it's definitely. I mean, there's. Yeah, I mean, guy eats uh, another guy's face off. Seriously, right. I was in the horror. <laughs> Romantic because coffee. it did well critically, so it can't. Um, yeah, be very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I honestly I think that's when it started people started to bring it up when it was up for all the Oscars. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, they don't want to say it's a horror movie. Same thing with Get Out, I think, when it started to get all the, yeah. uh, the acclaim. Now, how early on did you want to make movies? Very late on. I mean, it, it, it wasn't even in my radar at all, I'll be honest. It just wasn't. I, was, I wanted to be a writer since I was a kid. Uh, I was writing. I, I had a novel by the time I was like 16. So I always thought I was going to be a novelist. Um, went to college for that and um, got a bachelor's in English um, to to be a novelist. Um, I mean, they, at the University of Florida, they didn't have a, a creative writing degree, but so that was the closest I could get. 
And um, I did all the, all the creative writing courses there. But honestly, it wasn't, it, it, you know, come graduation time, it was just, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't want to be an English teacher or something. So I convinced myself I went to law school in New York, you know, the mecca of publishing that I, I'd write a great novel, but, you know, during my three years at, at, in New York and, um, and then I would never have to actually practice law. <laughs> That didn't quite happen. It was quite, you know, law school was, took a lot of my time. I didn't understand that. <laughs> so, uh, so, and then after graduating, you, know, you have that stress of paying back all the student loans. So went into practice, still thinking somewhere in the back of my mind, I would, you know, I would write the, this great, um, you know, novel become, you know, whatever, or whatever, and, you know, use my experience um, as an attorney to, to write a great novel. Um, and then just met someone who was uh, in or trying to be in the industry and uh, kind of inspired me to try screenwriting instead of um, writing a novel. And I loved it. I mean, I wrote one screenplay and I was like, why didn't I do this from the beginning? I mean, this is so much easier than writing an entire novel. Um, and so started with that. Um, and then just trying to get my stories out there is how I started actually making films is because, you know, you know, you, you pitch your, your scripts to people and it's, it's really hard to, to get them done. So well, what kind of decision is that though? I think is you know, if you're, if you're practicing law to go f to something that you don't, you have no guarantees that you're going to make it or, you know, it seems like a big jump. It was a huge jump. My mother still hates me for it. <laughs> That's my mother's biggest disappointment. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I still practice law, so okay. I still have that. But um, yeah, but it definitely affected my entire life. Um, and there is not a day that I haven't questioned my sanity for having done that, <laughs> but. Um, but I know that I, the, the sense of fulfillment I get from filmmaking is just something that I've never found in anything else. And so even if, I don't know, five years down the road, I was like, okay, I did it. Uh, I don't want to do it anymore because it, you know, it is stressful. I mean, look at this. I was in litigation for four years for Pete's sake. Um, so it's not that it's perfect bliss all the time. So, I mean, I may well, after a couple more, just be like, okay, I've done it. I had the experience, but I would still not regret ever doing it because it, it, the reward that I felt at points where like you're screening your, you know, your film in a film festival or you're, you get messages from people from around the world saying, hey, I just watched your film and I loved it. And you're like, wow, like something I did, somebody in Japan just, you know, care enough that they actually reached out to me to tell me they liked my movie when seriously, like, I don't know, I would have never even thought of doing that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, that's a, that's when you're like, ah, this is the best, you know? It's, yeah. it's such a high. Right. Yeah, I assume no one from Japan ever messaged you and said, I really liked that case you were in. No. But Can you end. believe that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, I, I, that's not, that's not the kind of law I'll do. So. <laughs> I was just being an idiot, but Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Tristan, you have a question? 
So you obviously specialize in horror. I'm wondering if you have any fears or phobias yourself that you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, I have a terrible fear of flying, actually. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I, it's, currently, I guess. It's, it's bad. I mean, it's under control now. Um, it, it's, it, I developed it after, um, after 9-11. Um, and actually, a lot of what's in this movie about the treatment of agoraphobia is the real treatment that's done um, for phobias, and that's you know exposure therapy. Couldn't think about it before. I don't know why. Um, and I did that. I did that. I didn't fly for like about three years, um, and I love to travel, so it was like killing me. I was just doing like road trips to places because I didn't want to fly. Um, but it's, that's, you know, I knew I wanted to go back to, you know, to Europe and I wanted to see other places. So um, I found a, a therapist that, that did virtual reality therapy. And what they do is they put the goggles, you know, the thing, you know, the, the headphones, they sit you in a, in a seat and that and they simulate flights over and over and over again. And so, I mean, even though you're in a chair and you know you're perfectly safe, you know, in a, in a room, like they would have monitors on you and your heartbeat and your breathing and everything, you still would have like the physical reaction was crazy. Um, and so, you know, they teach you like um, breathing exercises and stuff like that to get you to relax to the point, I mean, I, I still hate flying. I really hate it. I, I, I lose sleep days before I know I have to fly because I'm, I'm, I'm really stressed about it. But, it's, but at least I fly now, you know? Um, and we're, I had, you know, I, I, I couldn't continue not flying because I love to travel. That's like my biggest addiction, even more so than making movies. <laughs> Uh, how how is the uh, maybe I shouldn't ask you, but how has the pandemic affected that? Where are you going to be? Are you, are you flying currently, and does that affect your fear of flying? No, no, because it, my biggest fear was fear of crashing. I guess okay. maybe that's a, that's the correct way. Okay. That's, that's a right phobia. <laughs> It's it's not the actual flight; it's the fear of actually crashing and dying. Um, so. So no, like I actually, I just went to Costa Rica in November. So I, no, I, I feel I've been kind of pretty careful with the pandemic, but not like too crazy about it either. Uh, how much like research did you do for agoraphobia itself when you're writing the movie? I did a lot, actually. Um, I read up a lot on it. You know, I don't know how people ever wrote anything before, <laughs> before the internet. <laughs> but, I don't know how people did anything before the internet. Yeah. Um, I, I did a ton of research on the internet. And then I, I read I went a lot on blogs and stuff like that to hear not just the main writers, but like the people's comments on it. Cause that's where you get some really juicy ideas and, and some real feedback of what people who are living with it are really going through. I mean, some of it, you know, I had to, for dramatic effect, I had to like, whatever, create on my own, I'm, you know, um, because I mean, most agoraphobics don't, are not really completely always in, at home, you know, like they do manage to go out once in a while. Um, so, I mean, you, it depends. There's degrees of it. Not everybody is, um, that extreme. Like yourself with the fear of flying. You still, uh, right. uh, exactly. fly at times, yeah. 
Um, how about finding a house to film it in? Was it, did you already have the location or was it someone's house? We had originally thought of filming in LA, so um, we were going crazy, but just just the because we thought, okay, you know, if we're going to be having Tony Todd and everybody lives in, you know, in LA, it'd be probably easier. Um, but it was just so expensive, not only because people want a lot of money for their homes, but also because of the permits. And I was really, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, you don't have to get the permits. We can work. And I was like, eh, that's a lot of money to put up, you know, we're going SAG. So you have to, basically give your um your entire budget to to a company to hold so you know now if you get shut down because of you don't have a permit that's it you lost all the money so i didn't feel right about that luckily in um, miami you don't need permits to to film in a private home so i started like just hitting up people I knew. Um, luckily, because I am an attorney, <laughs> I knew people, I knew a lot of people who had a really nice homes and I was able to, you know, to ask somebody I knew and, um, which was not always easy, you know, because he was staying at the house while we were filming. So it, it created a lot of, you know, tension and we had to clean the house every night after we finished filming, which was really, you know, it just added a lot more stress than if it had just been, you know, uh, an empty house somewhere yeah um in the script um so the house you found did it have all the locations you needed from the script no it it um we needed to have you know we needed to have like a some wilderness behind the house you know according to the script so we ended up having to rent um it was actually a, a girl scout camp um which wasn't that far from the house, um, but that that was a, a different location. And then what else? Oh, and then one of the investors had this beautiful penthouse apartment in um, in Miami Beach, and that's and that's the final location in the film. Were you were you living in Florida at the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You live in LA now. Um, well, technically, I guess Huntington Beach. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to ask, when did you decide to move, you know, out to the West Coast? Well, I was in Atlanta for a while and I was, um, I was there right after filming this, actually. Um, I was in Atlanta until 2019. Um, but, you know, I mean, you keep trying to expand uh, and get better at your craft. And, and um, I really wanted to the stressful part about filmmaking is actually the selling of the, of the films. So ideally I would like to get away from that. I mean, I, I produce by necessity, but I don't really love it. It's too much like practicing law. So it's the unfun part of filmmaking. So, I mean, ideally I would like to get into doing it for other people and have them worry about the sales of the, of the, the films. Um, so and unfortunately, you know, still, even with Atlanta, with the high market that it is for filmmaking, still writers and directors are being hired in L.A. and flown out there. So I needed to be here. Yeah. Uh, Trish, do you have a question? Do you prefer to uh, direct films that you've written yourself? I've never directed something somebody else has written, so I 
don't know how good I'll be at it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it definitely helps when you're directing your own stuff because my favorite thing is writing. Like if I could just write, I, I'd be the happiest person in the world. Um, the good thing about directing and don't get me wrong. I, I like the directing part of it too. And like now it's become very like a huge challenge for me. And I, especially to learn and to grow as a director, but the great, the, the part I like the most is that then what you end up creating is exactly what you envision when you wrote it, as opposed to handing it off to somebody else and then getting something completely different, you know? I experienced that on my very, very, very first film. I wasn't even supposed to draft. I was, which is the day I was a writer. And then all of a sudden it was like, what is going on? I was like, no, no, no. And so I kind of stepped in first. It was kind of like, you know, like, eh, let me give you a suggestion. And before I knew it, I was like, you know, co-directing the film just because I, I had, since I had, I had produced it. So I had some power. I was like, yeah, no, hold on. <laughs> let me stop this. <laughs> so what was the first movie, first feature? It's called The Awakened. It didn't go very, it didn't go very far. Um, and it was definitely, uh, it was my film school, I always say. So would you say you learned uh, to direct, you know, being there, being on, being yeah. directing, I guess? Yeah. Absolutely. I had never been on a film set before. I knew nothing about directing. Um, I knew nothing about filmmaking. Um, and so I, I, I learned by sheer necessity, you know. What would you say once you started to do it was like uh, things that you didn't expect? I mean, it's hard to say because it's not like I had any expectations because it, I wasn't planning on it. You know, it was just all of a sudden I was th thrown in there or rather I jumped in there just out of, you know, sheer necessity. Um, but I didn't really have any expectations um, other than I wanted my film to look a certain way and for actors to say certain things and all of a sudden it just wasn't coming out that way and I and I started just by making suggestions and later on I just kind of was more forceful about it um I've also also have had my own practice for a long time so I'm used to being the boss so maybe that has something to do with all right but I'm like a little bossy. I don't how know. On, how about on the editing? Uh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. I actually, I think I learned more about directing after sitting down with a director, with an editor and seeing how it comes together. And now it's like, oh, so I probably don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. So I'm editing as I'm filming because I already know what's going to go in the final cut rather than shooting entire, you know, takes that i know are not going to ever be used mm -hmm. yeah that comes up a lot in the interviews actually people who mm -hmm. either work on multiple parts of the movie um you know just knowing like a little bit of this helps with with another aspect of the movie making yeah uh trista you have a question yeah you talked about uh shooting in florida rather than L la due to the permit situation i'm wondering when you shot uh all Girls Weekend in Georgia, and that was mostly, uh, you know, there was a lot going on in the woods. Was that more of a guerrilla shoot? Uh, no, actually, we actually had permits to shoot where we were shooting. One of them was a cabin that had like, like an uh, amazing amount of um, land. 
Um, but we did have to have permits to shoot at a park where the ruins are. Um, so I'm trying to think, have I done anything that was completely guerrilla? Um, probably the last one we made that we shot last year, um, 73 minutes that we shot. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was definitely put together last minute. So we didn't, we didn't get permits and we, and we, kind of bent some rules and so lost. We were a complete shutdown because of the, the riots. Uh, remember after the after the Black Lives Matter uh, riots were happening. So we were actually locked down and we were still we were filming <laughs> in the Everglades just to avoid just to avoid the cops. <laughs> so how how far along is is seventy three uh how long how far along is that movie? It's in post-production. It's like about to be finished like any moment, but I've been saying any moment for like a month. So, you know. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you didn't know about filmmaking when you started to make films. How about uh, the festivals? Did you have any experience with them before you started, before you had your own movie in a festival? No, no, never had, never been to one. Like, honestly, like it, the whole experience was so not at all something that I thought that a normal human being with, you know, could do. Like to me, it was like big still, I, I didn't know about the whole indie scene. So I didn't think that average human beings could do this because to me it was like a multi-million dollar thing that only um, big studios could do. It was, it was only after doing you know, the first one that all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, and I was surprised because the first one really didn't look all that great. And yet we went to so many film festivals with it. Um, And I was surprised how well it did despite limitations. Um, But that's, I mean, that's definitely one of the best parts. That's, I I like this one that we just finished, you know, from last year. Um, We haven't um, submitted to film festivals precisely. And I haven't been in a hurry to finish it precisely because all the film festivals are online now. And I'm like, well, that's that kind of takes all the fun away. I mean, what's the point Um, for that? You know, we'll just put on YouTube and let people see it. You know, the the fun part is to be able to attend in person. Yeah. Uh, How hopeful was that uh, being on the festival scene? Because, you know, you you meet a lot of people and uh, was that helpful for you as a filmmaker? I mean, it's not helpful. I mean, I've not once gotten distribution from going to a film festival. Not once. I mean, um, and to be honest, unless you're going to be in one of the, the top ones, it doesn't really help you in terms of sales or anything like that. Um, because, you know, they want to see Sundance and, you know, and Tribeca and all that stuff. And so if you're not getting into those, and I've never been so uh, courageous as to, or maybe, or maybe I'm just too logical, but I'm like, why waste money on, on submitting to those? I mean, the chances of those of getting to one of those is so slim. Um, so I've never submitted to them. So it's, it's only been helpful in that it's the kind of thing that inspires you to, to continue doing it, you know? Um, and I've also made some incredible friends, you know, other filmmakers. And, and there's such a bond with people who have been through this experience, you know, like you. Um, and some really good friends. I mean, people that even if I never make a film again, I know I will be friends with forever. It's like we went to a camp together or something. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, honestly, it's the major thing I miss right now is uh, going. Mm, yeah. But of course, we want everyone to be safe and everything. <laughs> but yeah, I do. Know. Uh, Sophia Cassiola wanted me to ask, since it is St. Patrick's Day, do you have any thoughts on the Leprechaun franchise? I've only seen the first one, oh. so <laughs> and I didn't think it was very good. It isn't. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it makes one of those silly, fun movies you yeah. see once, and then you was the Leprechaun. <laughs> you store it away yeah. in your brain. Right. As, Gen- as Jennifer yeah. Aniston's beginning pre nose drop, that's all. I that's all. That's all. It sticks out of my mind. <laughs> Uh, we, we had to ask it since it was uh, St. Patrick's Day. Uh, Tristan, you have a question? Uh, you mentioned your biggest lesson through the litigation is just to stand up for yourself, which um, I imagine you already were pretty good at standing up for yourself. Um, mm. But I'm wondering if you have any other advice for aspiring creators. I don't, I honestly, right now, the market is in just in complete turmoil, you know, like everything that used to work before just doesn't work the same way. Um, I can tell you from the release of Hasman in 2014, that was, to now, um, sales revenues just have just gone so down um, that it's really hard for me to give advice other than to say, if you're not going to have any name then make it as cheap as possible i mean really like five thousand dollars ten thousand dollars you know um and if you and if you have any kind of a budget have a name like if you don't have a recognizable name forget it it's just impossible to make any money on films anymore so it's not like Hasman did so good i mean Hasman was like on Redbox, and it didn't have any names whatsoever but just for the fact that it had, um, you know, the fact that it was horror and it had a good premise, it was all over the place. I mean, we went all over the world with that with that film. Um, but you can't, you know, it's just, it's really hard. The, the amount that we make per, you know, per movie now is so much less. Um, um, although I have to say the pandemic has been pretty good <laughs> in terms of, getting us a lot of views so we've been you know um making more money but literally i mean you have to have millions of views to make any kind of money and it's really hard because there's so much content out there that how do you you know how do you even compete it's just impossible the fact that we make any money to me is still mind-boggling um so i really hope that people go watch agoraphobia at least (laughs) Yeah. Asmat actually was the first time I heard, I heard about you was when they were uh, they sent it to the show, you know, to, to talk about. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, that's that still has like a very special place in my heart. Like that's the first film that I did all completely by myself. Um, and I did everything on that. I, you know, I, I, I mean, I've, I've produced everything after that as well. But I that one I produced by myself. Um, and, uh, and then it just did so well. I mean, it really, really did well. I, I, I wish every other film, you know, had done just as well because, um, it, it was great. Like it made money, you know, I still make money off of it, you know? So, um, when you started to make films, um, 
How were you treated as be, uh, as a woman director? Were you treated any different? Um, when I first first started, um, I would get stuff reviews and stuff like that. I would say Mr. Simon or <laughs> whatever <laughs> all the time. It's like, oh, really? You, you know, you didn't never looked on IMDb to see that I have a that's a woman. Okay. Um, but in a way, it was good for me. Like, I really wanted to be judged on the quality of the work and not just on like, oh, you know, she's a girl. She did well for a girl. Like, to me, like, the worst thing you could possibly is give me an, an award for, like, best female director. Ah, that's just painful. That's like saying, you know, you did good for a girl, you know. Um, so, so in a way, I didn't mind that um, people were confused. Um, I wanted people to really just watch it and, you know, and just judge it on, on its value. Um, but honestly, like I, I think in a, in a studio level, it's a bad, it's, it's, it's a horrible system. That's really so hard to break in to, and we're not giving any, you know, we're not giving any chance to, to work in that, in that field, but in the indie level, we have so many supportive people. I mean, I honestly, I cannot complain like people like yourself and so many of my, of my really good guy friends that have been so supportive and have been, you know, um, helping me along the way and, and helping spread the news about my films and, and stuff like that. So I, I cannot say that I've been at disadvantage at this level mm-hmm. it's just breaking into you know going out of this and actually trying to make it in this to a level that's almost impossible it's just so hard especially you know on top of that i'm latina so it's not like you know i mean there's less than than one uh, percent of the films you know in the studio level are made by women um you know latinas so it's not a very good odds <laughs> Uh, what was that experience like coming to to America? You know, uh, when you're, you, I think you were nine, so you're pretty young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was it was scary. You know, it's like I going to I didn't speak the language, so um, I was so scared about everything. I had I knew one word in English, and that was fancy, so I mispronounced it on top of everything else, <laughs> uh, and. Um, and it was, it was, and we had nothing. I mean, we had to start from scratch. We literally had only the clothes we had on. Uh, we weren't allowed to take anything out of the country. So, um, for anybody, you know, listening to this or watching this, you know, it's Cuba. So, you know, what you, you don't own anything. Everything's owned by the by the government. So you're not allowed. You uh, we weren't allowed to take anything besides just the clothes we were wearing and our papers. Um, and my father had been a political prisoner. So we were, um, you know, we were definitely um, not liked there. Um, we were seen as anti-government and, and we were um, constantly being harassed. So we were able to ask for asylum here in the United States. And, um, and I, I, I'm still, like, sometimes I think about it and how my life would have been had we not been able to come over. You know, it just would have been completely different you know I mean the fact that I was able to go to one of the most prestigious law schools you know in this country and and go on to have so many things that I could not possibly have dreamt of like it's not a reality for anybody much less just an average person over there so 
yeah, I, I still, sometimes I pinch myself, like, how did this happen, you know? Uh, once you come here, do you ever have any contact with any uh, friends or, or relatives in, in Cuba? Or is that the last time you saw them? Um, most of our immediate relatives ca- came, you know, eventually at one point or another. Um, like we we claimed them, or they came through another through other means. So I don't really have any close relatives over there. Um, so I've never, and I I was so little, right. you know, and like I said. We kind of have to live this kind of weird double life because we you don't want to like advertise that you're anti-government. So um, once we left, we couldn't really reach out to to friends. Like we were at that point, we were outcasts, so we couldn't. I mean, there's a reason why they call it you know exiles um, because you you're seen as as this horrible human being that you know it's a traitor to your country and all that stuff. So I we couldn't really keep in touch with friends. Yeah. Uh, Tristan, do you have a question? Um, I mean, that's so wild. Uh, <laughs> thank you for sharing that. Um, do you find, uh, this is kind of a weird question, I guess, but um, do you find that any of that struggle in, inspires your work? Not really. I mean, I do have, I am working on a script right now on the story of what it was like growing up over there, um, especially with my father's um, political uh, leanings, because that that's a crazy horror story of itself, but it's, but it's not a harsh, you know, film. It'll probably be the first flat out drama that I'll ever write. And probably the only one. Um, but it's just kind of like a, it's such an interesting story, you know, thinking back about what our life was like. It's kind of surreal. Like it happens to somebody else at this point, you know? Um, so I really want to write that. But um, no, I mean, I mean, I basically grew up here, you know, um, everything that happened before I was nine is kind of like a blur a little bit. Um, but I'm, I'm so American. I mean, I, I love football and you know and, and beer and I went to college and you know here so I, I feel very American it's not um I don't have even though I'm very much Cuban and very much Latina and I like you know culture a lot but um but I can't really you know I, I mean I grew up watching horror films here I not over there but here and that's that and Scooby-Doo is probably the biggest reasons why <laughs> the things that have actually inspired my writing. <laughs> I like that Scooby-Doo is an inspiration. And I still, I still love that. I could still watch Scooby-Doo any day. <laughs> you have a favorite character from Scooby-Doo? Um, Thelma probably. I mean, she's, <laughs> that's just totally mean, you know, strong, bossy, and, and, um, uh, and uh, skeptic about everything. <laughs> we saw the shirt earlier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Where you see it? <laughs> well, 73 minutes is in the works. Mm-hmm. Movie. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and you also, also saw Adam 6. How far along is that? That's in development. So it... it we had actually gotten the funding and I was all excited to make it. And then the pandemic hit and the investors fell through. So we went from pre-production back to development. Um, but, um, but 
I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm, you know, now with things coming, it's, it's a good film to be made during this, even during these un- uncertain times, because once again, this is a little limited location uh, film, even though this one has a much bigger cast. So, uh, Can you give us any of what, of what Adam Six is about? Sure. It's about, it's about a guy who um, wakes up from a coma and finds out that he's the only man alive in a colony of women after, um, you know, after the end of the world. There's one guy and lots and lots of women. Interesting. <laughs> in uh, 73 minutes, um, you said, uh, you know, you filmed that during uh, during different periods of lockdown. So what was that experience like? Uh, crazy. It was really crazy. Um, I literally came up with the idea like on a Tuesday. I thought... Well, I saw something that triggered the idea and then um, wrote it Wednesday and Thursday, Friday, Friday afternoon. I, I contacted people I knew and said, hey, do you want to make a film? And um, luckily, I've worked with enough, you know, really good actors and really good people that they were like, yep, I'm in. So we shot two weeks later. And um, it was in the middle through that craziness. And then it's a thriller, it's not horror. And um, we shot it over four days, four nights, Um, actually. It's mostly at night. And um, and we had actors in in Florida, Texas, um, Georgia, and Tennessee. Um, and no two actors were ever in the same place together. Everybody, you know, is remote, um, except for like one tiny scene, but there was glass in between them. So it was okay. Uh, Tristan, mm-hmm. another question? I was wondering if the um, scary antics show in Hazmat was uh, inspired by any real life show. Oh, yeah, uh, scare tactics, yeah. Yeah, it actually, the idea for the show, for the movie came, um, I had just had surgery and I was like just sitting around home, you know, recovering and they had a, a full day of uh, scare tactics, um, like a marathon kind of thing. And I was watching there laughing my butt off and I'm just like, man, I mean, I kept expecting somebody to like, I mean, if, if somebody's coming at me, I would punch or something. So I kept thinking, this could really go wrong. Um, and, um, and so the, you know, that's what sparked the idea for Hazmat and, and the whole, you know, the whole things really go wrong after they try to scare a guy. I've not actually seen scare tactics. But... Oh, it's hilarious. I don't know if they're still playing it, but it's, it was really, really funny. All right. Uh, where can people follow uh, your movies to see, you know, uh, when they'll be released and where they can find them? Well, I'm, I'm Ms. M.S. Lou Simon, L-O-U-S-I-M-O-N, in all the social media, and then every everything has its own. Um, so I guess whitelotusmovies.com uh, will have probably have all the links for all the different uh, social media pages. Uh, where did that name come from, White Lotus? 
<laughs> well, I'm Buddhist. <laughs> and um, in, in Buddhism, uh, a white lotus is representative of creation and creativity. So when, oh. I, when oh. I started my company, I figured, you know, why not? It's a, we're going to make a bunch of horror movies killing people. Why not use Buddhism <laughs> as a starting point? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Uh, people should check out Agoraphobia. It's on Amazon, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it should be uh, on Tubi soon. I'm not really sure. Oh. They haven't given me a release date, but it should be on Tubi. Um, and so... Um, You'll be able to stream it there for free. And to be pace, um, people a lot better, filmmakers better. So just watch all your films there instead of watching on Amazon that doesn't pay crap. Great. And I, I'm a fan of Tubi even before <laughs> that because a lot of cool, uh, unique horror movies, a lot of independent mm-hmm. horror movies that, you know, aren't carried other places. And yep. I don't care about a couple ads. That's silly fun by me. Yeah. Probably because we grew up with them, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I grew up with a lot more ads than, than two, yeah. so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and I've heard that from other uh, filmmakers that they're better uh, for independent. Uh, way better. Yeah, way better. I Amazon doesn't pay anything. It's it's terrible. It's like a cent for every hour, really. So I mean, you literally have to stream. Millions of people have to stream for you to actually make any money on Amazon. But, you know, they're, they, they count on the fact that that's where people are going, you know. I mean, it's almost, it's almost impossible to get on Netflix, and Netflix kind of rips off. Oh, I probably shouldn't say that. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> um, but it, it's impossible to get on Netflix. Um, it's very hard. So Amazon know that they're, they're probably the only game in town for low-budget, you know, indie films. So they, because of that, they can get away with murder. So, and so they do. I mean, they they do not pay indie filmmakers at all. Very good. Well, I will share the Tubi link when it's available. <laughs> you can't. That's that's a one one oh, drawback okay. to Tubi. You can't oh, share a link to yeah. to your film directly. I mean, Tubi. If you're listening, please, can you please fix that? I mean, seriously, this is such a pain in the ass. <laughs> because all you can say is like, go to Tubi TV and and, right, and look for it. Out. Yeah, interesting. We'll, we'll we'll get on them about that. To add, to add yeah, give them a call. You know I'm Neil, don't you? Just, yeah. just call them up. If nasty Neils tell somebody, it will do no good whatsoever. But uh, <laughs> my mom calls to be to be or not to be. She thinks it's very cute. Uh, it is very cute. And my mom's a big horror movie fan. Oh, good. Yeah. Now, my mom isn't, but but she'll watch mine only. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Does, does she enjoy your movies? I feel like her favorite is Agoraphobia. Oh, really? Yeah, she really likes that one. So um, so she was excited when I told her it was finally being released in the U.S. Um, but um, she'll watch it, but it's kind of funny to watch her watch it while she's like, the whole time it's really funny it's kind of cute but all the time uh, her her thing is like so how much longer are you going to keep doing that (laughs) she she just wants her to be an attorney (laughs) (laughs) she thinks i'm crazy she really does (laughs) but yeah i love it that's well i'm glad she's still supportive though and, and watches it yeah yeah 
<laughs> Even if it's a phase, Lou. <laughs> I'll grow at any moment now. <laughs> well, it's been very fun. It's great to have you back on. Oh, it's so nice seeing you again. Yeah, we should do this again sometime. Absolutely. After 73 minutes, if you'll have me back, even though it's not horror, I don't know. Do you do, do, you do thrillers? Yeah, we, we, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely thrillers. Cool. Yeah. As long as it's in the realm. As long as it's not like a romantic comedy or something. I think we're good. No. I, I, I have written romantic comedy, but I doubt I'll ever make one. Nobody will ever hire me to direct that. So I don't think. <laughs> I'll be very surprised. Your mom would probably like that, maybe. I don't know. Much more, yeah, much more likely. Maybe then she'll support me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks Bye. For- Bye. Nice meeting you. Bye. <laughs> Bye.